Well, as we have been traveling through the book of Acts, we are repeatedly encountering God's, the Holy Spirit, acting to accomplish the mission of Jesus building His church. And as we encounter the Holy Spirit's actions there in the early church, His actions raise some confusion in the midst of today's church about what we can expect from the Holy Spirit today. You see, the book of Acts opens with a miraculous display of the Holy Spirit's presence. In the first seven seven chapters, we see the apostles, along with several others, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do miraculous actions. Kind of all began with uh, seeing what looked like tongues of fire come to rest on the apostles' shoulders, and they were speaking in languages that they had not heard. As we continued through those chapters, twice we read the phrase, they did wonders and miraculous signs. We saw Peter heal a man 40 years old, who had been lame since birth. The guy had never walked. And Peter touches him, and he walks. In chapter 4, they're gathered together, and they're praying. And it says that the very place that they were in shook. Chapter 5, we see two people lie to the Holy Spirit, and they drop dead immediately. An angel opened a locked prison gate so the apostles could go right back to where they were before and continue to preach the name of Jesus. And a crowd flocked to the apostles, bringing to them the sick and the demon-possessed. And when you get down to verse 16 of chapter 5, it says that all of them who gathered there were healed. I mean, it is incredible. And then when we come to chapter 7, we read of Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. He did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. It's incredible. And we look at that and we read those stories and we just think, wow! That is incredible. And today in Acts chapter 8, we're going to see Philip accomplish more miraculous actions. And we're going to see the Samaritans believe and receive the Holy Spirit. So so let's just jump into it and see what it says. Uh, There's a note sheet in your worship folder if you'd like to follow along there. Or uh, feel free to read along in your Bibles. Uh, There's Bibles in the pews or on the chairs down in worship too in front of you. And I meant to find out what the page number was, but I didn't. So ask your neighbor, okay? Anyway, Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 8, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Did you catch that? Okay? Stephen was martyred. The great persecution broke out. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. 
When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And then, in verses 9 through 13, I'm not going to read it, but we get introduced to a sorcerer named Simon who had amazed the people of Samaria with his magic for years. And verse 13 says that Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Then, verses 14 through 17 say, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, well, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So, the confusion that arises in today's churches centers around the questions, when does a believer in Christ receive the Holy Spirit? And what manifestations of power accompany that reception? And those are great questions for us to consider. Because this is not the only place in the book of Acts that we see that taking place. In chapter 10, Peter preaches to the non-Jewish, God-fearing household of Cornelius. And in verse 44 of chapter 10 and following, it says that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then if you go further into Acts 19, the Apostle Paul, he travels to Ephesus And in verses 1 through 7, it says that he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So today... I want to simply ask four questions to help us understand what we today can expect from the Holy Spirit. So, question one, 
when do Christians today receive the Holy Spirit? Answer, the moment they believe in Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul declares, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Okay? Here Paul is making a very direct statement regarding those who don't have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. And the implication is equally direct. Belonging to Christ means having the Spirit. The two happen together the moment you trust Jesus. Question two. Should Christians today expect miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Now, I need you to listen carefully to my answer. For the answer is both yes and no, depending on what you mean by yes or no. <laughs> That was good, wasn't it? Yeah. Starting to sound like a politician, Clodson. What do you think you're doing? <laughs> I answer the question that way because if I simply say yes or no, people who would embrace the other answer impose on my answer what yes or no means to them, and they don't listen to the entire answer. All right. It is very important to understand that when God's Holy Spirit works, it is always a supernatural work. And it is equally important to understand that his supernatural work in people today generally looks different than the miraculous manifestations we see in the book of Acts. Which brings us to the third question. Why is our experience different than these three experiences that we see in the book of Acts? Well, the short answer is because today the church is established. But I want to give you a bit longer question or a bit longer answer that's going to take a bit more time. Back in Matthew 28... Jesus commanded his disciples in what is known as the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. In Acts chapter 1 verse 7, Jesus outlined how to get to all nations. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. Unfortunately, after the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles in Acts chapter 2, by Acts chapter 8, where we are at, the apostles are still ministering in Jerusalem and the immediate surrounding area. In fact, chapter 5, verse 42 says, Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And when you consider everything that is recorded in these first, these first seven chapters, day after day wasn't just a few days. It was probably more like five years or something like that. So they're hanging out there for quite a while. What they're doing is good, but they haven't gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the other parts of the world. So God allows the great persecution to break out. And if we return to our text, in Acts chapter 5, it says that Philip went down to Samaria. Now, we need to pause here and we need to think about this for a little bit. What is Samaria? You've heard the Good Samaritan Maybe you've heard of the story of Jesus talking with the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. All right? So what is Samaria? Well, Samaria is an area north of Jerusalem where the Samaritans live. And Samaritans were half Jews, half Gentiles. You see, when Assyria captured the northern kingdom of Israel... Back in 721 B.C., some people were taken captive to Assyria, while others were left in Samaria under local occupation with the Assyrians. And those who were left behind intermarried with the Assyrians. So they were neither fully Hebrew, nor were they fully Gentile. They were half-breeds. And they were despised by everybody. God had given very specific commands not to intermarry with other races and that the consequences would be severe. And full-blooded Jews just could not stand the fact that those people had done that. It didn't matter what the situation was. So the Samaritans often got blamed for everything that was going bad in the nation of Israel. That's their fault. Half-breeds. Jeez. Well, why'd Philip go to Samaria? Why, Why would he go there? Well, our text doesn't really say specifically, but I don't think it's a far stretch to assume he's running. Stephen, the star player of Christendom just got martyred and Saul is going from house to house and he is dragging men and women out and throwing them into prison and I'd be willing to bet that Philip kind of figured that if he went to Samaria 
those nice purebred Jews who were causing all this problem wouldn't come looking for him amongst the half-breeds. Now, that's just my guess, but I think it's reasonable. All right. Well, with that in mind, I don't think it's a far stretch to figure those half-breeds in Samaria probably asked Philip, what are you doing in our town? Right? There's bad blood. I'm not sure they wanted him around. So they asked him. So Philip, back to the text, proclaimed the Christ in Samaria. He explained to him what was going on. He showed up and he told his story. They killed my friend. This is why they killed him. Thought I'd come down here and just kind of hang out for a while. And the Samaritans believed, and they were baptized. Enter Peter, John, and the Holy Spirit. When you consider all of that bad blood between these two groups of people, the hatred and animosity that they had for each other, the apostles, those 12 guys who were there at the onset of the church at the beginning of Acts when the Holy Spirit was given and those tongues of fire descended on their shoulders, those guys, they had to observe the, Samaritan, the Samaritans' experience, the same kind of Pentecostal experience they themselves had had, so that they could substantiate that, yeah, in fact, the Samaritans had become part of the church. I mean, anybody could say anything about what was going on when it comes to God. But to have the apostles themselves give eyewitness account, well, that enabled the gospel to cross the chasm from Jew to Gentile or to the Samaritans. And it was that same kind of eyewitness account that allowed the gospel to cross the chasm to the Gentiles. In fact, let's jump ahead and hear Peter's explanation of that same phenomena of the Holy Spirit that occurred after Peter interacted with Cornelius' household. Peter reports to the Jerusalem church in Acts eleven fifteen through 18. As I began to speak, so he's telling what he had done. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them, the Gentiles, the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could oppose God? And when the Jerusalem church heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. 
You guys, this is huge stuff. I mean, we are talking huge. For Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would make his salvation with his promised Messiah, the anointed one, available to non-Israelites? For them, it it takes away their words. You just don't do that, God. Really? I was trying to think of something that it might be like in our experience today, and I was coming up real short. Um, But maybe, maybe if you're a movie buff, maybe it's kind of like the ending of the movie, The Sixth Sense. No? Okay. If If you were around centuries ago, when suddenly we realized the earth wasn't flat, but it was round, it's just that, no way, jaw dropping, just stunning, big deal event. And in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was given to some people later, okay, after they had believed, so the apostles could be present when it happened and confirm this stunning truth that the gospel is available to all people. Whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and receive His promised Holy Spirit. All people are welcome in Jesus' church. And I suppose I should pause and ask the question. Are you willing to welcome all people? into this church. And the gifts of tongues, speaking in a language unknown to the speaker, well, that was the sign God chose to validate that non-Jewish cultures had received the Holy Spirit. Because by its very nature, it empowered the Great Commission. The Middle East speaks some 15 different languages that I'm aware of, and that doesn't include languages imported from the West. And I really don't know the dial, if there's different dialects within each of those languages, okay? But the simple fact of the matter is that the language barrier of the Middle East alone could have prevented the spread of the gospel. But when those who are scattered can dialogue in the language of the people they have been scattered to, there is no barrier. So, in the book of Acts, God used delayed indwelling of the Spirit accompanied by the gift of tongues, speaking in other languages, to establish the church as it spread throughout the nations? That's the answer to question three. 
Question four. Why don't we experience a demonstration of Holy Spirit power like they did? Now, there are various reasons that various scholars give. Some would make the case based on 2 Corinthians 12.12, which says, The things that mark an, an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. Some scholars would say that that verse reserves miracles primarily for the 12 apostles. Okay? Some state that based on 1 Corinthians 13.8, which says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. That that verse means that those miraculous sign gifts have ceased. Others give explanations relating to the timing of history. They talk about dispensations. And still others would say that we simply aren't in a cultural setting where the gospel is penetrating a first-time people group like was happening in the book of Acts. All right. But I'm not going to look at any of those reasons this morning. Instead, I want us to look back to our chapter, and I want us to consider this guy named Simon that we were introduced to. I want you to look at how Simon responded to the Holy Spirit when the Samaritans, when, when, the, when he was received by the Samaritans. Acts 8, verse 18 through 25 says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was giving at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Well, Peter jumps all over that. And he answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right with God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Well, when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, I think that Simon displays an attitude typical of many Christians today. He believes God. I mean, he's sincere. He believes. But his default belief is to use God to exalt himself. And I think that one of the reasons we don't experience the Holy Spirit demonstration of power like they did in the book of Acts is because our desire would be to exalt ourselves and to exonerate 
our belief in God. We get so tired of being right but dismissed. And we just want to say to people, I told you so! Don't we? Don't you just want to say, Jesus is Lord and I'm right. Shut up and listen. Don't you? Or am I the only one? God wants us to exalt Him. For God is the only one worthy of exaltation. And he wants us to exalt him by demonstrating his character to others. Jesus declared in John 13.35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When you say yes to Jesus, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit takes place. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And you begin a process of being transformed into the image of God. And you begin to evidence that transformation through a new nature, which is God's nature characterized by the fruit of His Holy Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, for some people, when they say yes to Jesus, a great amount of that transformation takes place rather quickly. And praise God that it does. For others, well, that transformation can take a little while to begin seeing. And praise God that He is so patient. But for everyone, for everyone, the total transformation into the character of God takes a lifetime. And I think all too often we want Holy Spirit miracles because we don't want to go through the hard process of being transformed by the Holy Spirit. But I'd like us to think for just a minute about that hard process. About the supernatural transformation that goes on within the heart of those who say yes to Jesus. You see, I'm not so sure that exhibiting the loving character of God is any less miraculous than speaking in a language you have never learned. In fact, I would go so far as to say that when you display the fruit of the Spirit and do a Christ-like thing like love your enemy... I'd say that you are speaking a language you have never learned. Because there is no one on this earth that teaches that love language. Yeah, there's a lot on how to love people that love you. 
There's a lot on how to love people you like. But is there anything on Jesus' love? To love those who persecute you? Now, all that is not to say that God won't ever act today like he did in Acts. He might. But if you want to experience that miraculous power of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, I think you need to ask yourself a very important question. I think you need to ask yourself, why? Why do you want to speak in tongues? You see, in verse 4 of chapter 8, it says, They preached the word wherever they went, and Philip went to Samaria because God the Holy Spirit is accomplishing the mission of Jesus building his church. But if I were to answer that why question, I mean, why do I want that Holy Spirit power? I hate to say it, but I think my answer would be a lot more about my agenda than about God. And I'd probably be a lot more like Simon than I'm comfortable with. God has saved you if you believe in Jesus. God has orchestrated your life and he has placed you here in the Philida community. His Holy Spirit is in you. So I would encourage you to love God and to love people and simply allow the Holy Spirit to leak out of you through the fruits of His Spirit. And I would imagine that in so doing, you will find yourself proclaiming Christ in places you never thought you would. And that you would go to people you never thought you could love. And I think the power of the Holy Spirit will be manifest in you. Now, there's a question that I did not ask. Okay, Mark. Then what is speaking in tongues with quotes around it what is speaking in tongues that we often see occurring on television or in other churches well at best that is a different manifestation of the Holy Spirit than we see here in the book of Acts some would call it an ecstatic utterance or a mystical prayer language that individuals use to express a personal form of worship simply because they can't come up with the words or other expressions to do it adequately. I don't know. But one thing I do know, that expression is not proof of a Holy Spirit-controlled life. Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, if you go through that letter, will establish that fact. The proof of a Holy Spirit-controlled life is the fruits 
of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you want to do some more study on that, I would encourage you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So what is the point of the message today? I think Peter says it best in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Never doubt the incredible power that God will leak out of you as you trust Him. Would you pray with me? God, I thank You for Your Son, Jesus who has died in our place. And I thank you for your gift of the Holy Spirit that indwells us who have believed in Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you to keep transforming us that we would be a people who look like Jesus that our family and friends and community and co-workers would experience your touch through us that they too might come to believe in Jesus and experience life eternal. God, would you do your work in us through the Holy Spirit? And God, where we have quenched your Holy Spirit, where you have sought to transform us and we've said no. Would you forgive us? And would you give us hearts that would say yes? Transform us again. I ask that in the name of Jesus who is prized above all others may he be glorified amen